Welcome into the Nick's State of Mind podcast. I'm Matt Castillo with Chip Murphy and Danny Small. And we also have a special guest, Chip, one of your guys, one of your favorite guys that you, you'll love to talk about. We all read his stuff. Great. Uh, tell, us to, tell us who our guest is today. Yeah, we have uh, Jonathan Macri from Nick's Film School was nice enough to come back on the show again. John, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm... Uh, I'm- it's crazy. I think we're, what are we about two? We're yeah, two weeks away from the start of camp, roughly like a little bit, maybe a little bit more than that. So, uh, you know, summer went by quick, um, but I'm, I'm excited to, you know, get to where we could actually start talking about like the product on the floor, as opposed to hypothesizing about it, you know, over and over again, which we've been doing for seemingly months on end. Too long. It always yeah. is too long in the summer. Even, even when there are, you know, big free agency and everything to break it up. It's always too long in the summer. For sure. You know, I'll say this, guys. Um, I, I'm a Jet fan. So I, I, I know, Chip, you're a Jet fan. I know, Danny, you're a Jet fan. Uh, football season's already over for me. Yeah. So they're <laughs> fast-forwarding in my mind to basketball season, okay? Week two, and the season's done. Uh, yeah. So I am beyond ready for the NBA season to start in general. Again, we talked about this so much that there, there's – Actually, a competitive balance again in the NBA, which is going to be fun to watch this year to see multiple teams actually compete for something. You know, the, our Knicks have a little bit more depth than they've had in recent years. So I am just ready for the NBA to tip off. I, it, I just can't wait. So when you hear training camps right around the corner, just getting excited here. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today uh, is David Fisdale and all these these guys that he can put into this rotation. This is a lot of depth on this team that the Knicks have not had in recent years. You know, last year the rotation was kind of weird. Guys, you know, would be in it one week, and then the next week they weren't getting minutes. It was just a revolving door with that. And, you know, again, there, there's just uh, three or four forwards that are going to be getting minutes, you know, multiple guards. It's going to be a lot to figure out here. And Jonathan, I wanted to start with you and your thoughts on on all the the decisions that David Fisdale and this coaching staff is going to have to make. Uh, how do you see this rotation kind of filling out from the forwards to the guards? Uh, is it going to be like a revolving door like it was last season with multiple guys kind of getting inserted there, or is he going to have a set rotation? How do you see this playing out? Um, I you know I think it's going to be something that's going to change. Um, as the course of the season goes by, um, I, I think with the amount of guys that they have on one-year contracts, um, and specifically a couple of guys that I'm sure we'll get into, who I could see being appealing to um, contenders as the season moves along, maybe as they get closer to the trade deadline, um, I could definitely see the rotation that starts the year um, not being the rotation um, that finishes the year. You know, I mean... I, I was it, obviously it's listen how Fisdale handles guys playing time and and very specifically how he um, kind of uh, coaxes uh, good locker room behavior I guess shall we say from whoever it is that starts the year 
not getting playing time because I mean, let's face it. Um, you know, I've heard different numbers bantied about 12 guys that think that they should get minutes, 13, 14. My number is probably at about like 13, um, 13. Yeah. I would say 13 guys that, that think they're going to get minutes on a nightly basis or think they deserve minutes on a nightly basis. Um, you can't play 13 guys, um, in the NBA, you can't play 12 guys. You really honestly, even more, anything more than 10 is stretching it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's going to be able to pull it off. I just think he's going to have to be transparent and say, look, nothing's set in stone. Um, just because you don't see the floor for one or two or three nights in a row doesn't mean that next night. Um, and you know what? In theory, that's good because it keeps guys, you know, it's like it keeps everybody on their toes, so to speak. But at the same time, if you're not really good at managing people, if you're not really good at managing strong personalities, managing egos, like things could get um, really dicey really quick. And I know I'm talking in generalities, but that really is what this season um, comes down to more than like, you know, who fits best with who and what skill do they need to have on the floor at every given time. It's just they need to keep this thing um copacetic and and positive because you know it it all comes back to the same thing they need to get this organization feeling good and the the key players feeling like okay this is a place that i could grow my career and that means this season for all intents and purposes doesn't need to produce a lot of wins but there needs to be a good positive feeling around it and that you know and that starts with everything that i think we're going to talk about on this episode and Danny, I'm going to start with you. And this question is going to go around here, uh, but we're going to start with you, Danny, on this one. What position battle in training camp are you looking forward to seeing the most? Is it the point guards? Is it all the forwards in the mix? And why? I would love to say Frank Nealakina going for starting <laughs> point guard, but I don't think. I think even even me, I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. Um, I think you have to look at the first. Kevin Knox and Marcus Morris for that starting small forward spot. Um, because I think Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle are probably pretty set in at the four and five. I think those two are, are you know, almost locks to start. And then I think Knox and Morris is really the, the most interesting position battle for me. And they're both going to play a lot. Um, they're both going to see time. But I'm curious to see if Kevin Knox, you know, really, like, takes ownership and you know, really has a good camp, comes out, can score the ball, maybe his defense is a little bit better. Uh, because, I mean, we know what we're getting with Marcus Morris. I mean, he's a he's a proven veteran. You basically know what you're getting with him. I'm interested to see if Kevin Knox can kind of take that jump and basically, you know, own that starting spot. Because last year, I mean, we saw glimpses of it with him. We, You know, he had some really good moments. But, you know, all in all, I'd say it was a roller coaster up and down year for him. I think year two for Knox, and he's kind of flying under the radar. I mean, you now you have Frank is kind of taking center stage after all the Phoebus stuff, and then you have Dennis Smith Jr. I think, I don't know how many times I've seen, you know, like a uh, Ball is Life video on Twitter, like Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be a problem <laughs> this year. Yeah, And then, of course, R.J. Barrett, you know, number three pick. So I think Knox, may, he might be flying under the radar a little bit, and I'd like to see what he can do um, in that position battle there. Chip, same question. What battle are you paying attention closely to and why? Well, the Knox-Morris one is definitely interesting, but uh, I also want to see if Dennis Smith can uh, win a starting job. 
because we saw what happened in Dallas when uh, he lost the spotlight to Luca. He didn't really react very well to it. And uh, I don't think it's the same situation in New York um, because he was kind of supplanted by Luca as the face of the franchise. Uh, and he didn't really see that coming. And he was pretty much taking all the. She was doing what Luca was doing the year before that. He was taking all the shots, kind of running the show. And then the next year, he was trade bait, pretty much. Um, so now he has, again, he has some direct competition with Alfred Payton, uh, who's pretty much the anti-Dennis Smith. He's a passing point guard. He's not looking to score. Uh, he's a far superior defender to Dennis Smith. Um, but he can't shoot. He's never going to. Unlike Dennis Smith, I don't really see the potential for him to become a shooter either. But uh, he adds like a more of a stability factor that I think Fizz might like in terms of starting. Uh, and I think if Smith were to win a position battle, not that it's like an NFL thing there, but it kind of seems like Smith doesn't have a lockdown on the starting point guard spot. So I think that would be big for him to do something like that, to beat out an established guy like Peyton. Not that he's a star, but I don't think Smith is considered much better of a player than Alfred Peyton. To me, he hasn't proven much more than Alfred Peyton has. Uh, Jonathan, same thing. What is the position battle that you're keeping your eye on during camp? Um, so, um, I think, you know, Morris Knox is a, a fine, I think it's definitely, that's the one that's most up in the air. Although I guess to me that it's not that it's not interesting, but their, their, um, theoretical role in this offense, um, is going to be pretty similar. So it, it's, I don't really, not that I don't really care who starts, but it, it, for lack of a better term, I don't really care, um, as much. The Smith Payton thing is interesting. Um, to me, it's like. Um, if Alfred Payton starts game one of the season, it's like Ryan Fitzpatrick has come in and stolen the starting <laughs> quarterback job on week one. Exactly. And like, y- you never want to see that. Um, <laughs> I- at least, you know, uh, I-, I don't think if you, if you're rooting for your football team to win games, you do, it, w- it would mean that something has gone wrong. Um, mm. I think over the course of camp with, with, with Smith and that's, and honestly, that's no shade on Payton. I agree with everything you said on Alfred. I think he's solid. I just don't think, um, you know, I think we know what his ceiling is. Whereas Smith, obviously, that's still that's still an uncertainty for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different direction. And I know, you know, this is I know when I when I get on a on a horse and it's an unpopular one, but I I just I'm gonna stick to, with this one. I don't think R.J. Barrett should be um, penciled in um, as the starting shooting guard. Um, I just and it has nothing to do with him personally. It has nothing to do with him um, being ready. For that, for you know this level, I think he could very well walk into camp as um, one of their two or three best <laughs> players. But I think it's going to say it's my most interesting one because it's going to say a lot about um, how much they are really focusing on fit um, in terms of how certain players drive with one another. Um, and I keep going back to the same thing every time I think about this. If you're starting Julius Randle, which they clearly are, um, and you're starting Dennis Smith Jr., which I think we all at this point, you know, expect to, those are two guys that, I mean, and this phrase gets tossed around a lot, and I'm going to say it with a, you know, with an asterisk. Like, they're guys that need the ball. 
that can mean different things. Like Steph Curry is a guy that obviously, you know, he has the ball in his hands all the time. Mm-hmm. But if in some like bizarro universe, like he, that was not the case, he would still be incredibly valuable. You know, Randall and Smith, we'll see what they are as shooters. But even putting aside that, those are two guys that just clearly are more comfortable, like having the ball for large, you know, portions of the shot clock. And if you already have two of those guys in the starting lineup, I, I just, I'm not sure if that's the best use of Barrett alongside two of those players. Whereas a guy who is primarily a floor spacer, um, to me, would be a much better fit. So I think a guy like Dotson um, should be in the running for that. I think a guy like Wayne Ellington should be in the running for that. Um, and I, I, I'm curious to see which way they go because I think it'll tell us a lot about, um, you know, what internally their 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 goals are for this year and, and, and like, you know, how, how thoughtful they are um, being about about these decisions. And I think what you're saying about Barrett, I don't think it's crazy to have, you know, number three pick off the bench. Some people might, you know, overreact. Oh, he's not even good enough to start. But, I mean, you look like Marvin Bagley pretty much exclusively came off the bench last year. There's, like, a ton of guys. It could be a nice way. Could be a nice way, you know. Recent memory, there's like someone in the top three yeah. or four that starts. Yeah, the year off and the it's like a, you know, I know the Knicks. You know, they're not like the type of team that like drafts a rookie and then you know they're a role player. Like they expect Barrett to be, you know, one of their guys. But easing him in off the bench, I think that's that's not a bad idea. You know, and just I, I should add the caveat from the perspective of a, you're still going to play him 25 minutes a night, and b, <laughs> when he is in the game. The offense, forget about what position he is. He'll he'll be out there, I'm sure, with another nominal point guard, whether that's Peyton or Frank or whoever. The offense will go through him Mm -hmm. for the time that he is on the floor. And that's actually why I want to see him come off the bench so he could actually get more responsibility, even though it it might Mm -hmm. not seem like that to some. Actually, I like that combo of him and Frank. Oh, uh, Frank is not, like, he's not, yeah, he's not the, like, he's not the point guard that, like, he needs the ball up every time down the floor. You know, he's going to have the ball in his hands like 90% of the time. Like, he's kind of, I think we saw in FIBA, like with Fournier, he's perfect in that role of like, yeah, he's a point guard, but exactly. he's comfortable moving off ball. Like, if Fournier, you know, slash Barrett, they want to take over a little bit, you know, because they have to operate a little bit with the ball. I think, you know, and Frank, I don't know how Barrett's defense is going to be in year one. I think as time goes on, I think he'll be a decent defender, but it couldn't hurt to have him alongside you know, really good defender who can kind of cover up some of his holes early on. Totally. I couldn't agree more. And I think with me, the, the battle that I'm looking at, of course, is, and I might be a little bit biased here as a former point guard, That that's where I always look on the floor. It also feels like the Knicks haven't had a point guard in forever. Um, you know, that's, that's the <laughs> one position that I just want finally to be established for once and for all. Uh, so, yeah, my eyes are, of course, you know, and I, on Frank Nielakina, I don't know, you know, where he's going to fall in this rotation right away. Uh, we have talked about it several times about this year being such a big year for him. Uh, you know, three three years into the system, you want to see what kind of step um, that he could take forward. I mean, it's obviously no secret because it's a really weird thing here that, you know, back then I wanted Dennis Smith Jr. Um, and I kind of agree with you, Chip. I, I think, you know, even with Dennis Smith, he shows flashes of a really solid player, but it's just not there consistently. 
you know, as I watched even last year, I expected a little bit more. So I'm hoping to see a little bit more consistency from him this season. Um, but, you know, I, I think people get the wrong impression from me that I'm like an anti-Frank Nielakina guy because I didn't want him. <laughs> like people get this like this mindset that I root for him to fail so I can just sit there and be like, I told you guys. And that, that is far from the truth. Like I want Frank Nielakina to prove me wrong. And I am rooting for it in the, the biggest way this season. Like, I want him to come out. And, I look, I get he's not going to be a guy that's going to drop 25 points a game after triple-double like Russell Westbrook or something. I get that. That's fine. But I just want to see him take a step and show me that he was worthy of that lottery pick. And I'd be glad to sit there and go, yeah, I was wrong. You know, it took three years, but it was worth it in the end. Uh, so just those two guys especially, I want to see if one of those guys – it, can Dennis Smith Jr. be that guy that I expected him uh, to be? Because I was very high on him. Uh, I felt like he was going to be one of the best players in that draft. And, again, it's just been a little inconsistent from him at times. So those two guys are what I'm keeping an eye on. And I just want somebody, one of those guys, to step up and take this job because I am so tired of not having a point guard. It reminds me again of my crappy Jets of never having a quarterback. You need you need that guy. Uh, we're, we might be past that. We we'll see if Sam if Sam gets healthy. But well, whenever he gets he over get his past mono, his mono, yeah, yeah. 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 Listen, I'm if Dennis Smith Jr. starts off training camp guess, with mono, uh, we have yeah. a problem. We could do a long we could do a long thing on on Sam Darnold for me, but <laughs> I think we can stick with Nick's point guard right. for now. But for what it's worth. I just need somebody to run the offense, somebody to be that guy finally, because it has been forever since the Knicks have had a point guard that we could say, yeah, that guy is the point guard. It's just been a revolving door of guys in Band-Aid fixes. You know, they try to throw Derrick Rose in there. They had Jason Kidd for a year, and he was 150 years old, which he played very well, by the way. But, you so know. Bridget, you know, they were the two, uh, the two point guards that year. Yeah, we yeah, can't I, I, be smirched Pergioni on this podcast. Yeah. No, I, I no, that was like the oldest that was the oldest like point guard duo in like NBA history, maybe. But for a year, it wasn't a bad option for the Knicks. Like they did pretty well. That's about Ray Felton, by the way. Ray Felton oh, yeah. did really well for us. That yeah, his, a couple of good years, yeah. His first stint where him and Amari that first half of the year before they traded Melo, that was like uh Rob City cool. East. Yeah. No, Good that call. Was really fun. I just want something like that to happen again. So, you know, as we kind of break down here, we, we know, look, uh, early on, there's a lot of pieces. I, I'm sure we are going to see a lot of guys playing minutes here, but eventually at some point, I feel like there's going to be an odd man out in each of these kind of positions, a guard position, a forward position. And Jonathan, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, let's start with the forward position. You know, Julius Randle, Bobby Portis, Tosh Gibson, uh, Marcus Morris, guys like that, Mitchell Robertson as well. Um, I know some of these are the the obvious answer that are not going to be the odd man out. But if you have to pick somebody in there, who is the odd man out eventually do you see kind of not really being a factor into this rotation? Um, I mean, you know, I guess it has to be Gibson, right? Um, he is pretty, you know, everybody that they brought in, you could kind of understand um, the rationale behind it. Uh and Gibson, the rationale it, it would seem is hometown guy um, has been around, um, you know, a, a while um, is known as just like your, you know, your classic typical veterans veteran. Um, 
you know, in like the Lance Thomas mold, except he's, you know, and I, I hate to say this about Lance Thomas because I love Lance Thomas, but Tyus Gibson could actually still play a little bit. Um, and that being said, um, I, I, if you, if you look at who is probably going to be the most accepting of, um, not seeing minutes every night. And that's not to say that Taj couldn't be one of the better players on this team. Cause I actually think you, you could probably argue that he is one of the two or three most complete players on the team. Because he doesn't take anything off the floor on defense. I mean, he's not the defensive force he once was, but he's still more than serviceable. Um, and his field goal percentage is always high. I mean, he's been toying around, I guess, with a corner three. So it's like there's a real high skill level there. But again, this gets back into the first thing I started talking about, which is like what, you know, and I'm not saying I have the answer to this or what I even think this should be, but what are the priorities here? Because if the priorities are to play the best guy, um, Taj probably gets time, but if the if the priority is to kind of make this the most copacetic situation it could be, um, you know, it just makes more sense to me that you kind of have Mitch and, and Portis as, as the five, the rotation of the fives, with maybe Randall getting some spot duty in small ball lineups, and then you got um, Randall and... Uh, you know, if depends on how much time. I, I have to think that they're going to play RJ some at the threes, and if they're playing RJ some at the three, that means Morris trickle down effect is probably going to get some time at the four. Um, you know, but then again, I mean, who knows? I mean, I know you asked about the forwards, but uh, but as I pass it along, I would actually open up the possibility that um, all these guys get time, and you know, you see Taj as the backup four um, behind Randall. And then there's just enough minutes for all the forwards, and it's 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 a battle royale for at like more like at the guard position. So I don't know. And Chip, for you, what's the you know all these forwards that we have on here? You know, I kind of feel like somebody might be traded at some point here. Who who is that guy? If you agree with me uh, of this forward grouping, uh, who who is somebody the Knicks can kind of turn around and deal maybe around the deadline and maybe even acquire a few more draft picks? Well, uh, first of all, John, I'm glad you brought up the the guard thing because uh, I think that Alonzo Trier is a guy who definitely doesn't have a guaranteed spot in the rotation. That's what I was thinking when Matt brought that up. Like he's going to be – like if they want to move Bullock around to – the shooting guard spot or something like that. He's the guy who I think Dotson would be moving ahead of him. I think Ellington would be moving ahead of him. But uh, as far as who would be traded, the most likely candidate is obviously Morris. I agree. He's the best player of the guys they signed, in my opinion. Um, he's on a one-year deal. It seems like one of those free agent contracts where he was signed to be traded. Um, if he's playing really well in February and the Knicks are out of it, I'd be surprised if he wasn't traded. Uh, it would make sense for them to trade him. So he's still a really good player. He's still pretty young. I think he's barely even 30, right? Didn't he like just turn 30 years old? Yeah, he just turned 30 years old. And, uh, there's a lot of teams that, a lot of contending teams that would want him. The Spurs just tried to sign him. So the Knicks would have a hard time trading him. I would say Marcus Morris would be the most likely traded player. 
I think Dark Horse in that. I would agree with you guys on that, the Marcus Morris, but Dark Horse Bobby Portis, just yeah. because he's been, I mean, he's mentioned it about eight times in the last two years that he wants to win sixth man of the year, which oh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily see that happening. Um, but if he's like a type of guy, he takes another step forward offensively. He could be kind of like a, you know, spark off the bench. I mean, people are always looking for bigs that can stretch the floor around trade deadline. I wouldn't be completely shocked to see Portis in the, some of those trade rumors. But like you said, I think Morris is probably, um, you know, with his playoff experience and just being a little older, I think he's the more likely of the two. It's a weird award to be so psyched about winning, though, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. A lot. You see a lot of guys like that, though. I mean, I don't know. It, I mean, Lou, Lou, Williams, Lou Williams has kind of made it cool. Yeah, but Lou Williams is Lou Williams. Yeah, like now everyone everyone wants to be Lou Williams, you know, why not? And Jonathan, I wanted to ask you this because I've seen some things earlier today, and I I don't know how true they are. I I didn't even look to see the source or anything like that. I was just in class, bored out of my mind, talking about anatomy and physiology, crap I didn't want to hear, okay? So I was looking through Twitter kind of quickly here. And I've seen something that the Knicks are working out Hashim to beat. Is there any truth to this at all? Have you heard anything by this? Because I didn't even know that guy was still trying to play. I um, didn't either. Um, you know, I, is it, I have you Ian, heard anything? Yeah, I, I think Ian uh, had it. For, Ian Begley, obviously, yeah, Begley. SNY, had it. Um, so he was – there was a <laughs> – I think the, this first started when there was like a team photo – um, I guess a bunch yeah. of folks went to mm. uh, a, a restaurant up in Harlem, and the beat was there. And then it came out later in the day that he had been working out with the guys. And now I guess he's going to be joining them for some informal five-on-five action. Um, I have not seen it um, reported that he um, is going to get a camp invite. And actually, um, I guess the news uh, I, was it today or yesterday where they confirmed all those Exhibit Ten. Um, yesterday, yeah, yeah, it was those, yesterday. Those so. Hours. You know, they have their 20 guys for camp, so I, I, I don't, you know, I, I'll i say this. I, I um, having always, you know, you know, I've been a fan of this team forever, and seeing other teams from afar, like, make kind of shot-in-the-dark, you know, acquisitions, you know, not acquisitions or inquiries or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's nice that, that Scott Perry seems to be a guy who is will swallow his pride, and God knows... Hashim to beat you got to swallow your pride to get that guy anywhere near your building but like he's he's there's no stone he won't turn over um you know and you never know maybe sometimes maybe once in a blue moon it'll yield something but i I would not worry about that if if you're a number two overall pick at one point like you just people are going to be looking at you for the for the next like 10 15 years just like man maybe i could be the one to get something out of him but yeah i i (laughs) I don't know if the beat is going to be uh going to be taking his uh doing any impressions of his time at uconn at madison square garden exactly he was so effing good in college oh my yeah. god he was he's nine feet tall. of course he's gonna be good at college who else was tall like that i know oh. but i know but it it couldn't have been just because like he had a game where he had like 12 blocks one night or something like yeah, oh. he, did, he had a, i was looking at it the other day he had a triple double one time yeah. Which is ridiculous oh, in, in say, college, let alone with plus. Yeah, he's, 
you know, just beat on all the time is if, if to beat gets a job over Camelo Anthony in the league, there's something wrong. There's yeah, something he's wrong. not getting inside. He's not. He hasn't even like played professionally in two years or something. Well, yeah, he, no, he played in Japan. He played in Japan last year. Yeah. So, oh, okay. The Corsairs. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask all of you guys here what you guys thought about this as well. This was just something uh, we, you know, Chip. We talked a little bit about yesterday. Uh, just, I guess, something that fans enjoy to see here. I, I don't the RG Barrett comments about you know who would you like to posterize here? And Chip, I'll start with you. And RJ's answer was, uh, I think it would be Brzingis. What What did you think about those comments right there? I love that he said that. I mean, he was trying to endear himself to Knicks fans. I think it's great. I mean, he knows exactly what we wanted to say. Uh, he wants to dunk on Porzingis. He knows that if he does dunk on Porzingis, it's going to get at the Garden. It's going to get a massive reaction. Uh, it'd be great to see. And I mean, who else? Who he should want to dunk on Porzingis too. Who else in the league? There's no like real rivalries in the league anymore, and he's a rookie anyway. I mean, who else in the league would he want to dunk on? I guess maybe like Zion because they're close and they're friends, it'd probably be cool for him to dunk on Zion, but I don't know. I, yeah, Porzingis makes sense. I thought it was great that he said that. Danny, if, if Barrett dunks on, on uh, Porzingis, wouldn't that be the greatest thing ever? What I will say is, right. is Barrett, Barrett knows how to suck up to Knicks fans because oh, so yeah. far this summer, like all he said is like, oh, I want to be in New York. I want to dunk on Porzingis. John Starks is my favorite player of all time. Like, true. He knows exactly what to say. So, <laughs> hey, he's, he's smart. Well, his dad, his dad is like a former pro, right? Yeah, so, he played at St. Yeah. John's. Very well. <laughs> I just I want to see his godfather in case you didn't mm -hmm. know. I just want to see him try to dunk on him. Like, I, if you're gonna if you're gonna call the guy out here, am I wrong here, Jonathan? Am I wrong here? If you're gonna say I gotta put Brzingis on a poster, doesn't he have to go for it? I know they're only gonna see each other like twice this year, but doesn't he have to try to go for it? I you know it's <laughs> God. Those games are gonna be just an absolute circus. Uh, um. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a moment in one of those games, but if you read the full quote, I think it was actually he, like he he started saying uh, or started writing, "I I can't something like I can't say who the real answer is, so I'll just say yeah." For yeah, I said, think he, he wanted to say Zion personally. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, that's yeah. Something. there was some there was like a caveat. Who's, who's this mystery guy? You guys think it has to be Zion? Yeah, I think that, it was Zion too. Yeah. Um, I but I think, trying, yeah, trying to think, think more any, importantly, like, rivalry. yeah, with, with Barrett, it's like, um, <sighs> God, it's more than just sucking up. Cause he, he I mean, he's smart. He's so smart. Yeah, clearly. Um, he's definitely smart. Uh, I'm, I'm busting his, you know, busting his chops, but you're right. Yeah. Oh no. But, but as you should, it's, but it's, it's, I think it's, um, I mean, look, even at the age he is and wherever he is, 18, 19 years old, um, it, these guys, especially coming from where he comes from and, and, and having been kind of groomed for this from the age of 13, um, all of these guys are, are brand builders from before they step foot in the league. So I, I, I will, you know, take what I'm about to say with a, a grain of salt because I think there's definitely some, you know, he, he knows what he's doing for his own personal self when he, when he does all this stuff. All that being said, 
I think it's important that he he knows that this team and this franchise um, at this particular point in its history more than ever, you know, maybe since Ewing, I guess they need a guy who is okay with stepping into the line, the spotlight and being the guy and having the skill level to back it up and being able to, you know, be the guy behind the microphone when that's the time, when that's what's needed. Um, he seems willing to embrace it. And like for all, like, you know, the four of us will sit here tonight and we'll bullshit about, you know, who's, who should start and this and that, like so much of this franchise is hopes and dreams. And I hate to put this on the kid, but it, it is what it is. It falls on, like, what is his ceiling? Like, um, is he up to the task of, like, he's talking a great game, but, like, what, you know, how high, how good does it get? Um, so, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm excited to see, you know. <laughs> I'm excited to see those games against the Mavs. Let's just say that. Well, I, I know we've talked about this before, but, I, like, I still can't get over how bad the NBA did with scheduling that. Because, they're one, they're right on top of each other, which, I mean, you could look at that yep. good or bad. But they Madison Square Garden should have been the first one of the two. Like the NBA should have made Porzingis' first game against the Knicks at the Garden. That would just, I, to me, it just feels like when it eventually gets here, it might be a little bit of a letdown. I hope I'm wrong, but it feels like they should have just flipped those and had because I don't. Know, I, I agree don't, with to you me. Know. It just feels like it, it. It's just a weird way to schedule those two games when it could be you know two huge games for you know a national audience. For sure, I agree. I agree. I think I think the earlier too, the more energy would be in that, and that creates a better storyline and, and a little bit more drama. If it's like late on in the season, you know, things they're, could they're be both in November. I think I forget the exact dates, but they're mid-November. I think mid-November. So, yeah. Okay, so, but yeah, it's it's nice and early, but yeah, they it's like I think it's the eleventh. They're in Dallas, and then the fifteenth, they're in the Garden. All right. Okay. Maybe that's not the end of the world. Then I was thinking maybe they spaced them out. You know how sometimes you'll play them like December and then you don't see them again until March. That I think that would have been a lot worse. So I don't think that that's as bad. Um, but you know, it, speaking of this rotation and talking about this, and we we kind of shared some of our, our thoughts. Uh, you know, on R.J. Barrett, especially after the summer league. And Jonathan, I want to kind of get your opinion on him and his game uh you know and going back to the summer league and with everything that was going on with a lot of fans uh booing him after one game or so two games or so already claiming that he was a bust well we're reacting a little bit there because you know that nick fans never do that that never happens (laughs) but you know i'm just curious to hear your thoughts on you know, what you think of RJ and what do you think is, is his biggest thing that he's going to have to improve on for his rookie season? So just in regards to summer league. So I was, I was at summer league, um, for, what was I there? I guess I was there for the first four games. Uh, yeah, I think I was there for the first four. Um, and the second of those games. So the, uh, so RJ had like the two horrible games. The middle game was a decent game, and then his uh, last two were, were pretty good. The second game, um, his and I don't, I honestly don't know if they showed this or commented on it um, on the telecast. But uh, sitting courtside was uh, Fizz and Natasha's wife, and then they were sitting right next to um, RJ's parents, and. Midway through the game, I forget exactly when in the game it was, you saw um, RJ's dad kind of like, 
I'll try to describe this as best as possible. Like, you know, pressing his hands like towards the ground, like the, the gesture you make to indicate like somebody's pressing, like he knew it. Everybody in the, I mean, if you care to, you know, have a little bit of an open mind, everybody in the arena should have known RJ was clearly pressing. Um, and he, you know, got over that. And then we saw the guy in the last two or three summer league games, whatever it was, where he essentially, um, you know, averaged like a, a LeBron James esque stat line. Now, granted, it's against a bunch of guys who are going to be, you know, begging groceries in a few months, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, like we saw what he could do. I think he's going to struggle. I think he'll struggle from the field because, you know, his shooting percentages are what they are um, from college, and that's not going to improve overnight. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm not worried about him developing as a player long term. I, I have a lot of confidence in him because I just think he has the work ethic and the, the head for it and the wherewithal. I'm just really curious um, where, like, what do they see his ideal role being long term? Because I, I think you you could go a lot of different directions with it. I think it's it's tough to deny the fact that like he's a guy that is is going to be at his best with the ball. Um, but like, what does that mean? Should he be, uh, you know? And I keep I, I've said this on a couple of different pods, like. I could see him playing the four um, as for you know periods of time and have him just be a massive you know um, night, a nightmare you know matchup like because he's big enough and strong enough to grab like the rebounds from that position you know and then I could also see the logic behind putting him at the one and having a lineup where just like a bunch of guys you know switch everything the whole thing. You know, and he'll probably obviously spend most of his time at the two and the three. But I just, I'm just really fascinated to see the different ways that they deploy him. Um, I think this is going to be a great year for experimenting um, and putting him all over the floor. Um, and that's just one, one last thing on this. I think that's another reason why I kind of like him off the bench because if you figure the starting lineup is uh, Dennis Smith Jr., you know, um, what pick your Ellington or Dotson. Uh, and then Knox or Morris, uh, Randall and Mitch, you could literally sub in RJ Barrett for any of those five guys. Um, if he's your sixth man and it could create a lot of different fun, you know, um, lineup combinations and then just give a lot of flexibility. So, uh, that's where I'm at with RJ. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not worried about him, but I, I just, I like everybody else. I'm curious what his ceiling is. Cause I don't think we, I don't think we know that. No, guys just want to. Get final thoughts here. We've been talking a little bit about the rotation. Chip, you got any final thoughts on the rotation and how you see Fizdale handling it? Well, yeah, I like the idea of experimenting with RJ at different positions. I mean, this is the NBA in 2019. There's positionless basketball. I saw it today. Justice Winslow was talking about how he wanted to play point guard full-time this year. Point Justice, baby. <laughs> yeah, I love Point Justice. I'm yeah, a big fan. He was really, I mean, it's his best position. I mean, like, I, I don't mind playing RJ at the point or just make, like, I mean, they don't even, is, is there really point guard, shooting guard anymore? Are there really defined positions or is it just like guards, wings, and bigs? Yeah. Nah, like, it's more like that. They don't even call them 
shooting guard or whatever. Like, uh, Russell Westbrook is going to play shooting guard sometimes. He's going to play off the ball. He can't shoot, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> just because you play shooting guard doesn't mean you can shoot now. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great idea to play Garrett at every position other than center. Just see what he can do. The guy, and I watched almost every Duke game. He is an excellent playmaker for a for a teenager. Oh my god, he yep. makes a lot of good plays. And that I'm a Duke fan. That offense they ran at Duke, if you can call it that, it was. <laughs> The most bland nonsense and shots fired. Uh, Man, <laughs> Coach K better watch out for his job. No, no, it, it just was. No, I love Coach K, but look, I mean, I don't know if you guys know who Mark Titus is, the guy from the mm. Ringer. Sure, yeah. I mean, he described Coach K. He made a joke about Coach K, but he described him best. He's like, Coach K has entered into the Joe Paterno phase of coaching where he's trying not to shit his pants on the sideline now. <laughs> and, I didn't hear that. That's oh, yeah. man. I couldn't help but laugh at that. I was like, Jesus. He pretty much just rolled the ball out last year, and it was just RJ ISO, Zion ISO, and if RJ misses, then Zion tries to go get the rebound. And that's why I think RJ's stats were somewhat misleading, too, because he took so many shots. And so many threes. And he shouldn't have been taking that many threes. But he just took as many threes as he wanted. I think he took like seven threes a game last year. So I think it'd be nice to get him into a role where he's not taking that many shots. Like I don't... I think John's idea of putting him to the bench where maybe he's not chucking up as like 20 shots a game immediately is kind of a good idea. Because... You know, he took a lot of bad shots last year. And putting a and all rookies struggle with the NBA three-point line. Every single rookie does. Dirk Nowitzki's three-point percentage his rookie year was horrendous. He talks about it all the time. So I think, yeah, I think moving RJ around is a great idea. Danny, final thoughts on the rotation? Um, one thing I just can't, it just popped into my head. Like we're, I mean, we've been talking about the rotation and it's been, you know, one of the bigger topics of the off season, I think for, you know, for Knicks fans is trying to figure out how all the pieces are going to fit. And I remember last year, I think I wrote something uh, like similar like story about, you know, how Fisdale was going to get all these guys minutes at different positions. And I remember he said in the post game presser, like something along the lines of like, that that stuff always tends to work itself out, and it I mean it doesn't always, and it's going to be a tough thing for Fisdale. But those it, they do kind of tend to work themselves out. I mean, maybe you know we get to the season, maybe Dotson or Trier kind of falls out of favor a little bit. You know, injuries are just you know a fact of life in the NBA. Someone's going to go down. Someone's going to be able to step up for them. I mean, I think once the season gets here and we start to kind of see how things are playing out a little bit, I think we'll have a much better idea of, uh, of what's going on. But I also, like we talked about before, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be fluid throughout the year. I don't think it's ever going to be easy on Fisdale, but I think it might not be as difficult as everyone's making it out to be just for the simple fact that we've been spending, you know, the last two months, everyone's been, you know, breaking down depth chart and who's going to get minutes where, 
I think sometimes this stuff does have a way of, of working itself out. Jonathan, final thoughts? Um, so I'm going to um, end this by referring to uh, a team that uh, nobody uh, wants to think about or talk about, but I, I have said this stat uh, a couple times over the summer, and I'll say it again now because I think it's, it's important. Um, the Nets last season um, had 11 guys uh, play 1,000 minutes, and they were um, 17 Shabazz Napier minutes away from having that be 12 guys mm. to play 1,000 minutes. Mm. And, that was, and that also included D'Angelo Russell playing um, almost 2,500. Um, he averaged... Um, he, he played all but one game. He averaged over 30 minutes a game. Um, yeah, maybe we see Randall approach that. But I guess my point is this. They were they were the good ship lollipop um, all year long. I mean, you know, obviously the, the memes of, you know, the bench jumping up and, and dancing and, and, you know, everybody's, it's all, you know, gumdrops and candy canes and everybody's shitting rainbows and, you know, the whole thing. Um, they were happy. Um, they got by and there was a bunch of mouths that, um, you know, wanted to get fed and they didn't get fed every night. But if you, if you look at this Knicks team, um, and you look at the 15 guys who are going to be on the, you know, probably on the opening night roster, you know, put aside Iggy Brasdakis for a bit figure. Let's say there's a Morris trade, um, that'll open up time for Iggy over the second half of the year. Um, put aside Reggie Bullock because he's going to be out for several months. And let's just, for argument's sake, put aside Taj Gibson. Let's say he's cool with accepting that, like, vet mentor role. Um, that leaves 12 guys, right? So if you could get those 12 guys all over or whereabouts, you know, a 1,000 minutes, I think it could work. It's just, you know, to, to go back to what I said at the beginning – that means that, you know, because there will be nights where whoever it is, whether it's in Ellington or, you know, maybe it is a Dotson, although I really have a hard time seeing that. I'm, I'm still super high on Damian Dotson. Whatever. Whoever it is. Um, that might go a week or so without seeing the floor. Is that guy going to be okay with that? Because, like, it's just that's yeah, that's what I – if we could – if we got through this whole season – and we didn't hear one or read one tweet or something in an article from Berman or, you know, Bonnie or whoever, where it's like there's been, you know, un- uh, anonymous players have started to, you know, voice discontent with David Misdale's, you know, rotations and, and minutes patterns. Like, if we could get through the whole season without having any of that nonsense, I am like 92% sure I'll be happy come, you know, <laughs> April. So that's that's my hope um you know we'll we'll see if it happens um but i think um i don't know i'll I'll say this i think fizz is the guy that i would trust with this over other maybe more um uh ballyhooed coaches because he does seem to get through to players um as long as they're you know maybe not european um (laughs) You know, I'm cool with it. I, I'm excited to see how it works out. I'm, I'm just, I'm ready for the games to get started. Yeah, I think with my final thoughts with it, I'm just, like I said, I like the amount of depth that this team has. I think that's really great, especially for young players, because when you have depth, you have options. And what that brings is competition. And it elevates yep. players' performances when they know that somebody 
right behind them is very capable of taking their minutes if they don't produce. And I think that's a great thing to have, and I think Fizdale can take full advantage of that. If somebody just doesn't have it, then you can go to somebody else. You have those kind of options. So I, I just love when a team has a lot of depth in each position because it creates that competition, and competition just brings the best out of players. And that's where I'm looking forward uh, to this season. So that's all the time that we have. Uh, Jonathan McGrady of a, uh, the Knicks Film School joining us today. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. I think most Knicks fans that listen to our podcast are familiar with your work because you're out there and you're just killing it. Uh, but if you're not, you need to follow this guy because he does a amazing job covering the Knicks. And I mean, he's a must follow if you're a Knicks. Yeah. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. It was way, way, way too kind. I'm just, I'm just out here having fun every day. Um, that's truly all it is. But, yeah, no, I really thank you guys for having me. Uh, for having me. It, it's, I, I love um, – I appreciate having these conversations so much more when I don't have to host um, the show because when I'm, when I'm doing my own podcast, I have to worry about you know keeping the thing on the rails, which it usually doesn't stay on the rails, but that's <laughs> – fine um when i come on here i could just you know feel free to bullshit so it's it's great and um yeah it was a, a ton of fun all right thank you again guys and we'll be back next week for another episode of the Knicks data mind podcast thanks for listening